Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly, founder of The New European. If you like The New European podcast, you're going to love The New European newspaper. Unique content from people who love being European as much as you do. A different take on current affairs, bringing insight to untold stories from within our continent and explaining how they shape our lives. And page after page of fabulous arts and culture coverage from across Europe. It's witty, entertaining, and when it drops through your letterbox each week, it's going to remind you that a strong pro-European community is alive and well in this country we love. It's on sale at newsagents every Thursday, but make sure you don't miss a copy by subscribing. We've got a special time-limited offer just now. Go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash subscribe and you get the newspaper delivered every week anywhere in the UK for just £10 a month. And you also get full access to our e-edition. You're going to love it and you'll be supporting great journalism. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello snowflakes and welcome to the New European Podcast. It's a British eye on European politics and culture from the people who bring you the New European newspaper. You can subscribe to the New European at theneweuropean.co.uk slash save. For £10 a month you get the printed and e-editions every week and the first 200 to subscribe will get a signed copy of the latest volume of Alistair Campbell's Diaries. My name is Steve Anglesey. This week we are looking ahead to the elections on May the 6th which are going to say as much about what people think of Nicholas Sturgeon and, and Keir Starmer as they do about what people think about Boris Johnson. I'm joined by two first-time new European writers to talk about the by-election in Hartlepool, where vaccine euphoria, Brexit memories, the Northern Independence Party all threaten Labour's hold on a seat that they've held every time since it was created in 1974. If Labour can't win in Hartlepool, can they win anywhere? I'll be talking about that with the award-winning journalist Robin Vinter. And then, Welsh elections are always boring, right? Labour always win. Well, maybe not this time. Oriel Miller of the IWA, Wales's leading think tank, joins us to talk about whether its own red wall will continue to crumble on May the 6th, and to talk about the fascinating three-way fight in Wales between those who want more devolution, those who want independence, and that's growing, and those who want the Welsh Assembly shut down altogether. 
But first, what a week it's been. I mean, as a supporter of one of the Super League Six, I'm really delighted all that nonsense is over. And I also really enjoyed Boris Johnson explaining why football clubs were wrong to try and leave an established, successful European setup on a vague promise of more riches elsewhere. That's the same Super League, by the way, that ended up playing the same number of matches as the number of ventilators made for Britain by James Dyson, who texted Boris Johnson asking for a change in tax rules so he could come and make ventilators. Meanwhile, several firms in Britain who could have made ventilators, they also made no ventilators because although they had the experience of making ventilators and the equipment to make ventilators, they lacked the one thing necessary to win a contract to make ventilators, which is the mobile phone number of a member of the cabinet. My first guest today discussing her first piece for the New European is the award-winning journalist Robin Vinter, who's written for The Guardian, The Yorkshire Post, many, many others. Robin, you, you went to Hartlepool for us, where, of course, there's a by-election on May the 6th. It would have been a routine Labour win 10, 15 years ago. Now it's developed into a key test for Keir Starmer. Um, first of all, I've not been to Hartlepool for... For, for tw- I think 20 years, I went for the football last time. What is Hartlepool like right now? Is it a place that is on the up or is it, you know, it, it, having the problems of a classic red wall Labour area? Yeah, so historically, it's had um, a lot of a lot of those problems. Um, so it's for, for quite a few years, it was quite well known as um, having the worst um, employment problems in the UK so the lowest employment rates in the UK it's actually slightly better now than it was but it's still um you know it's 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 probably I think it's second (laughs) to to worst so it's um it's it's improving but it's not improving dramatically it's not improving very quickly um and it has um it well interestingly it has a bit of an odd demographic so a lot of those kind of former I hate I kind of hate the term red wall really because mm. because each constituency is different it's and each, a catch-all isn't it yeah that's it exactly and there's lots of reasons why people people kind of vote different ways in different constituencies um but it does have quite a lot of those kind of similar um issues where historically it was um a, you know big big heavy industry town where you know um it, you know there's obviously the docks so um you know people would bring in and and bring out um you know chem- chemicals uh, which mm. is which still does exist in Hartlepool um steel steel was huge in Hartlepool um it still does exist um Liberty Steel's got a plant there um and that's kind of you know if, if people have been following that that's that's there's kind of a bit of a dark cloud um hanging over that but you know some of those jobs still do exist in Hartlepool but a lot of it now has moved towards um customer service you know there, there were quite a few call centers that opened up um and um people you know there are a lot of professional people there as well which is something that people you know often forget when you're talking about these northern constituencies um you know that that a lot of white collar jobs exist there and and you know I, I spoke to a few people who were working in you know the di- a director of a company or working in HR and that kind of thing so um yeah so it's, it is a real mix yeah Liberty Steel, of course, uh, with the lender Green Silk Capital Loop in the, in the news um, recently for, for all kind of reasons. Um, can you just remind us of the reasons that we're having this by-election in the first place and why, you know, Labour are clearly worried about this. When you talk to people, are Labour right to be very worried about this? 
Yeah. So um, uh, Hartlepool's kind of had a, a Labour MP for basically as long as the constituencies exist existed, which which went back to the seventies. Um, their previous MP uh, was a guy called Mike Hill. Um, so he was elected in 2017 um, and, and you know, he, he had quite a significant majority at the time um, and was re-elected again in 2019. Um, it was a bit of a complicated situation. Um, so he'd, he'd had the whip withdrawn um, in 2019. So he actually stood as an independent um, and then ended up going getting back into the party um, and, and then again was a, was a Labour MP. Um, and that was to do with um, sexual sexual harassment and victimization allegations, mm. uh, which have re-arisen. Um, and he's he's facing an employment tribunal at the moment. So um, he's um, you know he denies that, but he stood down um, and obviously triggered the by-election. Yeah. And some, I mean, there there have been a there's, there's been some indication that Labour might retain the seat, but the last poll that I saw was. In early April, Salvation, I mean, the, the Tories had a, an enormous lead, uh, 49% to 42%. There were rumours then that Labour were, were kind of giving up on the on the seat, but now they seem to be kind of back in it. What What is going on there? Yeah, it's a really, really interesting constituency, actually, because the result in 2019 was basically split three ways. It was very close. Um, so obviously uh, Labour, or as it, as it was, Mike Hill as an independent, um, the Tories, and uh, what what were the Brexit party at the time. So um, Brexit is hugely, hugely popular um, in Hartlepool. Um, and the it was kind of a, a kind of unique situation i guess that um that 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 it was split three ways especially as labor labor technically wasn't in yeah. in that kind of three way split um so yeah so it will be really interesting i i do think um you know speaking to people nobody knows which way they're going to vote everybody i've spoken to couldn't couldn't call it couldn't call you know couldn't call their own vote a lot of the times you know a lot of people were undecided and um the Tories have been actually quite popular and 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 the kind of mood there um as it is in a lot of the country is actually that the Tories have done quite well um you know recently with the vaccine rollout and actually even the things that they were criticized for at the start of the pandemic um such as kind of a lack of testing and 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 the kind of uh, lockdown measures that people really didn't think worked in various different ways. Um, people actually, generally speaking, seem to think that they've done they've actually done an okay job and and they've actually done um, you know the, uh, the same job that anybody would have done in their position, uh, which is quite interesting. So um, yeah, so that that that's kind of why it's so close. And actually, you know, it's worth mentioning as well that. The Brexit Party has kind of rebranded um, as as Reform Reform UK. So, um, you know that a lot of a lot of what what was behind Brexit and Hartlepool was about a kind of rebellion and about a distancing, you know, distancing themselves from the mainstream and, and from the establishment. Um, and that feeling hasn't gone away, um, even even though Brexit's happened. So, you know, there's still actually quite a lot of support for that party. Um, as long as people have kind of paid attention to the fact that it's rebranded, you know, they could still pick up quite a substantial amount of, of votes. So, yeah, it, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, 
That is it's so interesting because Hartlepool's vote was 69% to leave in, in 2016. That's I mean, that's massively decisive. And um, and then in 2019, it was Richard Tice uh, in December 2019, who was the, the chairman of the Brexit party at the time. And now I think he may be the leader of reform now. So are all of those votes a reform? Reform's candidate is called John Prescott, by the way, but he's not that John Prescott. Are, are, are people going to vote for reform or are all those votes just going to swing behind Jill Mortimer, who's the Tory? I, my view is that people still will vote for them. So I, the, the only thing to kind of bear in mind with Hartlepool is, and it's like, you know, like where I live, like a lot of places in, in the UK, people don't really spend that much time thinking about politics. People don't really look at the ins and outs of, of everything. They don't look at every, um, you know, manifesto. They don't, they don't necessarily follow um, politics very closely and that's what a few people said to me and, and actually a lot of people said oh I haven't really heard anything about it um, and you know so, so that's kind of one thing firstly to bear in mind actually about um, the Labour vote is that you know Mike Hill was re-elected but as an independent not as not as Labour you know when when people looked at the ballot they didn't see the word Labour next to his name so I do think that's quite interesting you know he did lose a substantial number of votes um, but he was still re-elected um, and actually it, it's very easy to see a circumstance where someone went in intending to vote Labour didn't see Labour on on the ballot and chose something else um, so that yeah. you know that's something to bear in mind and and similar um when people don't see the word brexit party on on the ballot you know that might make a difference a lot of people i i really don't think a lot of people have have paid attention to the name change um and it's it's not the same candidate as it was before so you know that could this there's 16 candidates on the ballot uh, there so i think it, it could very easily um you know they could very easily lose votes just because of that just because the marketing hasn't been strong enough um for people to know um you know who's who's who and and people might then default back to either labor or the tories um and i think you know the what another kind of interesting thing if it goes on the ballot is um that um the labor candidate is a doctor um and i think if if the word doctor is on there i think it will make a difference because the nhs you know a lot of people haven't been following it again but the nhs is a really really you know uh emotive subject and a strong subject um hartlepool really fought very hard for um not to lose its a e which it did lose um 10 years ago um, and that really rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. And a lot of people remember that. And a lot of people still blame the Tories for that. Um, so, yes. And, and and speaking to one of the voters, he said, oh, I, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Um, but I hear that I hear that Labour guy's a, a doctor. My, my wife's a nurse and they've, they've worked in the same hospital before. Um, so, you know, may, maybe I'll vote for him. But I, I, I don't know. So, yeah. So, it's a, it, yeah, it's it. it it could go either way. My, if I had to put my money on it, um, I would. I think Labour will retain it, but it will be close. That's what I think. That's really interesting. Did you? Um, did you? Was there any expressions of regret about Brexit that you that you discovered, or are people just putting that Brexit behind them? Not at all. There was no regret whatsoever. Mm. No regret whatsoever from from people I spoke to. Anyway, I'm sure you know, like every constituency, there's a there's a real range of different um, kind of feeling. Um, but yeah, um, 
everybody you know the, the the people who I spoke to who supported Brexit still supported Brexit and even when I pushed you know and said oh it doesn't seem to have really gone quite to plan you know the the feeling was well these things never do you know it's always going to be difficult we never thought it was going to be plain sailing from the start um but the the feeling was always that we remember what it was like you know for, it, this was always among older people um the feeling was always we remember what it was like before the EU and we remember what Hartlepool was like and we remember, we remember you know the industry that we had here that we don't have anymore um and whether that whether it's right to connect those two things is is one thing but you know they they're right in the sense that Hartlepool was a much bigger stronger more thriving town you know back in back in the 70s than than it is now so you can kind of see see where mm. they go with that and they are absolutely steadfast um at least at least the people i spoke to were well they sent their you know they sent their message and um and um well, their message was heard i i, I guess <laughs> Somebody else, another another group hoping to send their own message, and, and you've written uh, quite a lot about about this group. Uh, she, Thelma Walker is not actually on the ballot as a, for as the the candidate for the Northern Independence Party because the, I don't, they didn't register in time or or something. But the Northern Independence Party, probably the best logo of any UK political party that they are Thelma Walker is standing there in all but name for the, the the Northern Independence Party is the Northern Independence Party just continuity Corbyn Labour or is there are there some points of difference what what is the Northern Independence Party so yes it, I mean it's certainly formed of those kind of jaded Labour people who very you know a lot of them were strong Corbyn supporters um, or at least you know they're not keen on the direction that the party's going now um, and they're not happy with the lack of support um, that Labour has at the moment or you know appears to have um, in the polling um, so yes so it, you know that 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 is kind of the nub of, of it but it's but there's there's that kind of northernness thrown in that that it doesn't you know that's that kind of isn't really accounted for at the moment on on ballots and um you know politics wise you know in devolved nations there's a um you know a, a, a independence movement or a, a kind of uh, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of like a a, a, pr- a pride movement, I suppose. Mm. Um, and there, you know, that hasn't really existed in the north. We've had a few different versions of it, and we've had um, smaller kind of regional versions. So, you know, the Yorkshire Party, for example, um, and the, and and the Northeast Party that's standing in Hartlepool. Um, but this is kind of the, the 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 main one that's kind of been big enough to take hold. Um, I do think, you know, as I say, I do think it is made up of of. Oh, it seems you know speaking to Thelma and I spoke to her uh, at length um it does seem like a lot of it is made up of of jaded la- labor leavers um le- leaves of the party not not brexiteers um and but I don't think it will stay like that actually um because I think there's that that's that kind of same movement that was behind Brexit that same kind of rebelliousness yeah. and kind of uh, wanting to kind of stick it to the establishment um you know that that's that can you know that will the the northern independence party will attract those people for definite um and there is a really strong feeling in the north um of a north south divide and and of being um kind of left behind and looked down upon often as well um especially by the tories but by every government you know that we've had in in my living memory anyway um 
so yeah so I I, I don't I don't think this is going to be their big moment actually and again like I say because Thelma Walker will be appearing as an independent on the ballot um you know that kind of flippant notion of oh oh that one sounds good I'll just take that um you know won't won't really happen um and also what's what's worth mentioning in Hartlepool um is that people have a tendency towards doing that you know towards voting for someone different um so you know they elected um Hangus the monkey which Ooh. is the Hartlepool football club uh, mascot um as their elected mayor um, and, you know, I spoke to quite a few people this, you know, this was probably what would this have been nearly, nearly 20 years ago. I spoke to quite a few people who voted for him um, and they all voted for him as a joke. Um, I think one of his tickets was free bananas for school children. Um, so, um, yeah, so I, there, there is a feeling that, you know, if if something like the Northern Ind- Independence Party was going to pick up a seat somewhere, Hartlepool would be the right place. But I, But like you say, because they were late to registering, I think I think they had um, it was a, they had to build a manifesto based on the views of their members, and they just didn't have time to pull it all together in time. Um, but because Thelma Walker will be appearing as an independent, I I don't think they this will be the election for them. But I do think we will see quite a lot more of them. I do think you know they they've when did you know they've been around five months and they've grown enormously to the point where. A lot of people who follow politics have heard of them. Um, people in Hartlepool necessarily, not necessarily have heard of them, but, um, you know, but they have probably gained more column inches than any, you know, non, you know, any other party that isn't Labour or, or the Tories recently. So, um, yeah, so I do think, I do I definitely do think we'll see a lot more of them. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, I don't think it's, it's not just a, a, a single... Um, it's not just a single by-election party. This is it. I think there. I think there is a, a bit more to them. It would be really interesting to see how much they do uh, damage Labour here. Um, I mean, there is a line of thought among Labour people in the in the area that you know, if we lose here, we don't have to panic too badly because really we would have lost in in December twenty nineteen if the Brexit Party had stood down for the Tories and. You know, at least there are other, and I know you don't like the phrase, but there are other red wall constituencies that have, have gone the same way, and rebuilding that isn't is going to take more than a year. How do you how do you react to to, to that and to sort of Keir Starmer's performance in general? And and if Labour do lose, what do you expect to happen with Keir Starmer? With to Keir Starmer, will is will the opponents of Keir Starmer in the Labour Party become much more vocal? Yeah, I think um I I mean my view is that it's it's not I mean this this is definitely going to be famous last words I can tell but um <laughs> that it, that you know this isn't this isn't going to be um a big a big shock I don't think I I think Labour will retain the seat but if if it, if they don't um I I mean the the main concern should be that you know the Tories have been so heavily criticised, you know, all year for doing a, a lot of things that, you know, people people have accused, you know, people have said it have killed people, you know, the eat out to help out scheme, as as, as fun as that was for us all to go out and have a nice meal. Um, you know, the the Guardian is is doing a lot of reporting at the moment about people who've died who have blamed that scheme um for for that. 
Um, and at the, at the moment, it seems like it's been kind of water off a duck's back, um, yeah. you know, for, for the Tories uh, among among the electorate that I've spoken to anyway. So uh, among people, among people in Hartlepool and other similar kind of what you would call red wall seats. Um, and, and that's what Labour should be worried about, I think. Um, I think they should be worried that the tide is isn't turning you know it doesn't seem to be turning and if anything actually the Tories are uh, becoming more popular um more kind of uh, you know the longer they're in power the more entrenched the idea is that you know the government has to make really tough decisions and actually we all have to make sacrifices um you know and uh, he has you know he he's kind of been in opposition um as Keir Starmer you know he's 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 said a lot of uh, the right things and he's he's um drawn attention to to the times when the Tories have really really you know made mistakes um but he hasn't felt like a strong opposition um and speaking to people that's one message that comes across all the time is that he seems quite passionless um mm. and and not um you know he he doesn't seem to have the fight in him that you know you can say we you know that was something that Ed Miliband was criticized a lot for when he was Labour leader um he you know he was criticized as being too soft and not strong enough but when you watch you know videos of him doing PMQs or anytime you know in interviews he talks very he talks very passionately and that did come across and that's something that I think Keir Starmer's missing a little bit at the moment um you know that that kind of passion that's getting through to people um when I when I ask people what they think of Keir Starmer they don't know they're not bothered <laughs> you know they they'll they'll shrug um and I it, you know I don't think I've actually come across a single person who really likes him or you know thought he's been doing a good job um that doesn't mean that they don't exist and it doesn't mean that it's it would be wrong you know it's wrong to to think that he's doing a good job but just that you know that's not the message that seems to be getting through to the electorate definitely on the ground yeah, and I think win or lose in Hartlepool, we are heading for a, a Labour reset, which we will talk about uh, in podcasts to come. Thank you so much to, to Robin Vinter. It's been great to talk to you, and I hope we'll be uh, reading and hearing much more from Robin in the weeks and the months ahead. Thanks very much. Now, Sir James Dyson texted Boris Johnson to ask if he could do anything about the appalling situation of people coming to work in this country, actually having to pay tax in this country. And Boris Johnson said he would sort it out. And in response, he received no ventilators. So that's good. Um, We asked New European readers on social media, what would you send in a text to Boris Johnson? And we've had hundreds of replies, only a few I'm going to read here, but thank you to everyone who replied. Uh, Mr Faded Glory said he would text that this to Boris Johnson. Hi, Dad. You may not know me, but this check still hasn't come through. I think that might be a text that Boris Johnson has seen before. Steve Ferrugia says he would text to Boris Johnson the word fart every 10 minutes from a different phone number each time. Lionel Sachs says... Uh, He would text, Dear Boris Johnson, thank you for your support of sociopaths in the workplace. Jocelyn Tucker says she would text, When are you going to give that £350 million a week to the NHS? You know, that £350 million on the side of the bus. You know, the red bus that you stood in front of. Celtic Made 4 on Twitter says that she would text this to Boris Johnson. And it's a quote from Mark 8.36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his soul? Sheila Faitney 
says uh, and puts a saltire and a European flag in her message. She says it's not a union if one of its members controls what the others are allowed to do. And Susan Dunn says she would text this to Boris Johnson. You do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something on which you later rely in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. Now, elections in Wales have been fairly predictable, but that all changed at the 2019 general election when the Tories took 36% of the vote, which was five points behind Labour. They took six seats from Labour. Uh, and now, uh, well, we're, we're heading towards May the 6th. It's time to welcome Oriel Miller. Uh, she's head of the IWA, Wales's leading independent think tank. She also has a piece in this week's New European. Welcome, uh, Oriel. Um, Thank you. Across, across Britain, May the 6th, we've got mayoral elections, we've got council elections, we've got police and prime commissioner elections. Um, for, for readers who are not, uh, listeners who are not familiar with, with what's happening in Wales, what will people in Wales be voting for on, on May the 6th? And, and can you remind us about the age of people who'll be able to take part in these elections? Yes, absolutely, Steve. We're going to be voting uh, for, we're going to vote, vote three times. We're going to vote for our uh, police and crime commissioners. We're also voting for our members of the Senate. So the Senate Cymru, the Welsh Parliament, is the new name for what used to be the National Assembly of Wales. It changed a year ago in May. And we're also voting, so we're voting in two different ways for our members of the Senate, both for our constituency seats and for our regional seats. But what's really interesting about this particular election is that for the first time, 16 and 17 year olds are eligible to vote. So we are watching that with interest in terms of how many people have registered and also what the turnout will, will be. But also foreign nationals, uh, certain foreign nationals are also eligible to vote for the first time uh, this time around. So it's a, it's a vote like, like no other. And one of the things obviously that I think we're going to delve into in a bit more detail is how devolution has really come to the fore over the last, over the last year. So people are understanding how decisions made in Wales and for Wales um, can affect their everyday lives in a way that they never they, they just haven't before now i mean it's unpredictable for for the reasons that you mentioned there but when there is pretty large approval for the way that the first minister mark drakeford has handled this pandemic shouldn't you know shouldn't he shouldn't labor be, be kind of pushing on here well it's interesting isn't it because i think there's lots of factors in that mix i mean you're absolutely right that um, one opinion poll had eight, uh, 59% of Welsh voters preferring Welsh government's approach to handling, handling the pandemic, as opposed to about 13% preferring the English approach. So there's been a very cautious, steady-as-she-goes approach in Wales. And apart from some uh, missteps, things like um, non-essential items being sold in yeah. supermarkets back in, back in the autumn and so forth, there's been broad... Um, and also cross-party support, so not just Labour support for Welsh Government on that on, on its handling. But then you also play into that the fact that um, you've got the vaccine rollout happening as well. And that's a complicated issue too, because obviously the procurement of the vaccines is happening at a UK level. But Wales is also ahead of the game in terms of uh, the coverage of vaccines already. Um, and that's handled by the devolved NHS 
in Wales. So that's a Welsh government achievement. But then you've also got overlaying and underlaying all of that, the fact that it's been Labour or Labour plus um, somebody else in power for the last 20 years. And that's a, that's a, that's a long time. So, you know, I think there is a sense of um, uh, same old, same old. And there is also a sense of how can how can they get the energy and the, the enthusiasm together um, to do it differently next time around. But you've also got um, another issue, which is turnout. You know, we've never seen mm. more than a 50 percent turnout for elections in National Assembly for Wales, now the Senate. So will that now change because people have understood that actually the decisions made in, in, in Cardiff Bay in the Senate do affect their everyday lives, where they can go, who they can meet, what they can what they can do in a way that, you know, previously people had no idea that even Welsh Government ran the NHS in Wales. You know, a couple of years ago, you were looking at fewer than 50% of people understanding that in Wales. So there's been a massive sea change in people understanding um, that devolution, uh, what devolution actually is, or at least mm. the basics of that. But then another complicating factor, and this is why there's so much uncertainty in this mix, is that people in Wales predominantly still get their news from UK-wide sources of media for whom, you know, the Welsh election is a tiny blip on a broader canvas of, um, of, what's, going, of what's going on. Right yeah. across, right across the UK. So, you know, if you're if you're listening, if you're listening to the radio that is coming from um, either from a source outside of Wales, or you're reading a paper whose editorial is um, uh, again uh, overseen outside of Wales, the nuances of all of this are, are lost on the general public. Yes, um, it's, it's. I mean, it is really quite complicated, and we'll come on some of the, the constitutional stuff in a in a minute. On the question of what the impact of the 16 and 17 year olds voting will be. I mean, the, people will always say, well, young people don't really turn up. And and then I, I, I did notice that, you know, there's an opinion, uh, opinion um, sky, poll for Sky this week. And, and when people were asked to name the best first minister, 46% of people who were, were asked said either none of the above or don't know. So, do you think that that suggests another low turnout? And what do you think the impact of, of, of young people will be? Is there any sign that they will actually turn out and vote? Well, the deadline for registration has just passed this week on, on Monday. Um, so I, I think it would be fair to say we're at the beginning of this journey, you know, um, and we would hope that for whatever base we start with, numbers will rise and rise in future elections. So, you know, I think it's fairly common wisdom that low turnout's endemic amongst the young. But we mm. do think that people who have only ever grown up in devolution might start to buck this trend. The question is how soon? So, you know, there was a poll of nearly 70% of 16 to 24 year olds saying the upcoming election devolved elections are important and that if you think about it that's also the age range of people who are being particularly affected by covid we know that young people are particularly affected so i think there's more of a direct link to um you know i can vote for a decision that or for a, for a member of the senate who can take decisions that will affect me directly and if you think that you know a lot of people 
that 16 to 24 age group saying that devolved elections are important. That's a higher proportion than any other age group apart from the over 65. So, right. so you know, we'll wait, and, we'll wait and see. I think the other thing that, um, that you can, you must be careful not to be too um, grizzled and cynical about is that there are issues that have cut through to, to that demographic in a way uh, very, very clearly. And I think climate change is one of those as well. Um, independence potentially being another one. So yeah. you could you could see both of those things, which are high on the agenda for um, people thinking about um, what you know what Wales is contributing both to the world in terms of in terms of addressing climate change, but also thinking about Wales's place um, within the UK and whether that's a good or a, or, or, or a good thing or not. Um, I think. Who, who knows? I mean, I, I suspect it won't be a massive turnout. Mm. Do we really know? No, of course we don't. We have to wait and see on the day. So that's another another layer of uncertainty. But we, what we have seen um, is some really good creative messaging, um, getting out about the importance of voting um, through all sorts of different ways um, in, in Wales, whether it's through, you know, uh, going to people, young people where they are, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. But I think it's also fair to say that a lot of the sort of representative bodies of different interest groups, those networks have been strengthened by the immediacy of um, communications that have been necessary from a very practical basis throughout COVID-19. So you might also, um, you might also hazard a guess that uh, that that those that those networks are also made up of younger people too, and that therefore um, uh, the elections is a bit more on their radar than it might otherwise have been the case. Plus, there's also the novelty factor, isn't there? Mm. You know, I I um, I have a 14 year old who isn't uh, eligible to vote yet, but mm. we had a conversation about the fact that she can register to be for when it's for when it's possible, and there was a little bit of um, truculence. But actually, she's quite pleased now that she has, and she's told, proudly told people that she's registered to vote. So, you know, great. That's that's one hope, hopeful new voter in two years' time. That is uh, that's that's interesting to hear. Um, truculent fourteen-year-olds. I well, have no experience of this. <laughs> um, constitutionally, I mean, when we think about Scotland, you know, we're thinking about a, a, a debate between independence or or, or staying part of the, mm. of the UK. In Wales, I mean, you're, you're writing about a three-way split almost. Talk, talk, talk to us about the, the three different camps in this debate about how Wales should be governed. Well, so, you know, Welsh Labour are a unionist party, but interestingly, they've got some pro-independence candidates standing in particular, in particular seats or on particular regional lists. Um, for the first time. So there's some interest in, in, in that, obviously. Um, Plaid Cymru are offering a referendum on independence and believe that Wales should be an independent nation. But you've also got, like elsewhere, a very polarised debate, and that debate increasingly polarised with the rise of Abolish the Assembly and the now Reform UK Party, which used to be the Brexit Party. Mm. Um, so I think you have to be careful when you're looking at uh, and obviously the Welsh Conservatives in that in that mix, too, as well as uh, Greens and the Welsh Liberal Democrats. So in terms of um, 
what might happen. I think, you know, I don't think um, I don't think you can you can overemphasize how uncertain this is at the moment. But there are margins within that that you can hazard a relatively good um, a relatively good guess at. So based on the polling that's been been happening and there's a new poll out today, actually, which I'll talk you through in a minute. But a few points to make. Some of the target seats for each of the parties, very small margins of swings are needed. So that's going to depend on po po uh, turnout. And it's also going to depend on um, how much canvassing candidates have been able to do. So again, play into that, that um, doorstepping, uh, doorstep canvassing has only been possible the last couple of weeks because of COVID restrictions. Um, it will be interesting to see whether the parties that are putting more money into social media advertising this time around are doing better than the ones who are who are relying on shoe leather. Um, and and I think that um, you know it's it's highly likely that Labour will still be the largest party. Will they get the thirty one seats needed to have a majority? Fairly unlikely, looking at the polling at the moment. At the moment, the most optimistic um, number, the most optimistic uh, estimate is around 29. Um, so they'd still need two others to get them over the line. Um, today's poll, which is a YouGov poll, looks at potentially one Lib Dem uh, being elected to a constituency seat. Uh, and that wouldn't be enough. And, you know, the last the last Welsh government uh, has had a couple of non-Labour ministers as part mm. of the government to help make up that, that 31. So they'd, be, they'd need to make some kind of um, agreement, whether that's a full-blown coalition or a confidence of supply arrangement. That's most likely to be with Plaid Cymru. Um, and in fact, on our website, iwa.wales, uh, today, we've done an analysis of some of the um, economic priorities in each of those party manifestos to sort of point out what sort of things they might be wanting to do to do a, a deal on. Um, various other deals have already been ruled out. So Plaid have already said they wouldn't do a deal with the Conservatives. The Conservatives haven't ruled out doing a deal with Abolish the Assembly Party. Um, so, you know, it, it, the, the jigsaw, we won't know what the jigsaw is going to look like, obviously, until um, until at least May the 7th, the day after the elections. And also counting is going to take a bit longer um, because of COVID restrictions, too. So so I think there's a there's a sense of, um, you know, we don't know what we're in for yet here, but it also may take a few weeks to sort of shake down into a clear picture of how Wales is going to be governed for the next five years. But, you know, you're absolutely right that that there is, you know, not only COVID, but also COVID has engendered the highest um, level of support for independence in Wales um, that there's ever been. And, you know, if if we had if we had said a couple of years ago that 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 would be as high as 39 percent, people right. wouldn't necessarily have believed that. But that is the case. And you're seeing a, a considerable rise in cross-party membership of Yes Cymru, which is the umbrella body, um, the pro-independence umbrella body. And in 2019, you know, a number of marches across the country where people came out on the streets showing their support. Um, will that carry through and will that grow and grow and grow? I don't know. But, you know, constitutionally speaking, we know that uh, um, the 
the kind of the 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 binds that tie together um, the United Kingdom are in question in a way that they haven't been mm. before, and lots of givens aren't givens anymore. Um, and again, you know, we did a piece of work uh, last last autumn. Um, called the missing links, talking about the relations between the various parliaments of the UK, regardless of what ha happens in terms of independence of Scotland, Wales, um, in the future. Just talking about how governments hold each other to account, how parliaments, sorry, hold each other to account and can be held to account for the decision making that affects that affects citizens in each different part of the UK. And some of those sort formal mechanisms just aren't there. They, 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 they just aren't there. So we've made a series of recommendations as to what needs to, what needs to happen. But um, I think it would be a brave person who, who would, who would, um, who would, uh, who would foretell the, what the future of the UK is going to be, because there are a number of different, um, a number of different options that could be, could be pursued, but a much, a much more, um, public and explicit conversation about what those options are needed and then politics will play into each and every one of them. It is, uh, yes, it's going to be a, a long uh, a long road, isn't it? But, um, but, but you know, Wales have, have started down, uh, as we said, they're, they're much further down the path than, uh, than you might have believed 10 years, 10 years ago, um, certainly. Labour did so badly in 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 20 in December 2019 what kind of seats did they lose did they fit in with that kind of pro-Brexit red wall narrative that happened in the other parts of Britain is there some sort of, is, is there some kind of existential threat to to Labour and the idea of a terminal decline well I don't know whether there's an idea of a terminal decline because I think there is a um uh, that would be across the country. There's mm -hmm. such a there's such a history and a philosophy of Welsh Labour in terms of its community um, support. But you could, I mean, I wonder. I I do wonder. We all wonder what's going to happen in terms of those sort of red wall seats, particularly in North Wales, that voted blue in the general election in 2019. Will they also turn blue? Turn to the Conservatives? Um, this time around. So there's been, you know, obviously evidence that once voters have broken a habit of voting for a particular party, they're much more likely to yes. break it again. Um, will their members of the Senate um, who have been representing them so far have enough um, visual recognition? And will people feel that uh, the handling of COVID um, is enough, and their and the approval of the handling of COVID is enough to to vote Labour back in again. I don't know. I mean, there's there's all sorts of very um, esoteric analysis out uh, on on all of that um, at the moment. And I think it's worth um, you know some of those seats again. Like I said at the beginning, need very small swings for them to become conservative. So we could see another shock in North Wales. I, my, you know, the jury's out as far as I'm concerned. Well, for, for people who, who don't um, who, who don't know much about him, Mark Drakeford is. I mean, I'm looking at I'm looking at the Sky Opinion uh, poll uh, from the start of the week, and of those who expressed a preference, 
he, as first minister, he was the, the preference of 55% of people who, who expressed one. Andrew Davis of the Tories, 19%, 15%, Adam Price of, of Plaid Cymru. Um, what, what are the strengths of Mark Drakeford and, the, and, and what are the, the, his weaknesses, do you think? I think he comes across, um, I think voters perceive him as coming across with um, integrity, huge integrity. He's, you know, he's a, he's a professor, uh, um, he's a former professor, and he, he comes across in that sort of professorial way. But I think one of the things that Welsh Government and he has had um, uh, approval for is the, is, is the fronting of the, of the press conferences throughout throughout COVID and, and taking questions. He's become, he's obviously become much better known and there have been some very humorous snippets that have helped humanize him, I think, to people. I mean, the, the cheese episode is the, is, the most, um, is the most amusing of that where, um, and there's a great little clip about, about that for those of your listeners who haven't seen it, I recommend you have a look. Um, but I think he's he's been criticised from the point of being overly cautious. He's been criticised for not being clear on um, some of the unlocking dates at the moment. And there's a particular criticism that he's um, uh, going too slow when it comes to um, uh, hospitality uh, and you know hospitality more broadly. Um, so from a business perspective, I think that's been the loudest criticism over the last over the last year. But he has been, I think, that the that the Welsh government but has had such high approval ratings for their handling has been it's a very, very clear focus on um, health and um, lives rather than livelihoods but and livelihoods but lives and life-saving um over the last year because of covid so i think that he has been calm and um cautious has played played well in that in that mix it is going to be absolutely fascinating to see whether a love of slightly salty cheese is going to be enough <laughs> To, uh, to, uh, to, to get uh, labor, Welsh Labour over the line. Um, I hope you'll come back again and, uh, and write for us again and, and talk to us more about this. It, it really is shaping up to be a, um, a fascinating election in Wales, not something that we have said a lot of times, and it is a fascinating piece in this week's New European by Oriel Miller. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's certainly interesting times and there's going to be plenty to watch. And finally, on the New European podcast, it is time for the Hall of Shame, in which we throw bad politicians, stupid ideas, things that just generally annoy me. Let's start this week with June Mummery, the former Brexit Party MEP. She retweeted a Daily Express article about fishermen in Brixham, and it had the headline, British fishermen snub the EU to bypass Brexit export costs. And June obviously thought, well, that's... That's pretty good. I'll, I'll retweet that. But did she actually read the article, though? Because that included this verdict on Brexit from a fisherman and a former Leave voter, Ian Perks. He said, I'm disappointed, very, very disappointed. I would love to have my time again and vote to stay in. Our business has taken a downward spiral. We're having an absolute nightmare shipping fish throughout Europe. 
due to the delays through customs. So let's let's just review that again. He's disappointed. He's very, very disappointed in Brexit. He'd love to have his time again and vote to stay in. And June Mummery, the former Brexit Party MEP, uh, has endorsed that view. Um, Andrew Rossindall. Uh, I don't know whether you, you know this quote about Seth Blatter, the, the old um, the old um, FIFA chairman, but somebody once said about Seth Blatter that he had 100 ideas before breakfast every day and 99 of them were terrible. And Andrew Rossindall has had one of those kind of weeks. Um, he gave a speech in, uh, in Parliament, Prime Minister's Question Time, rather uh, demanding that the statue of Ronald Reagan should be moved into Parliament Square. Now, uh, 20,000 children in, are in poverty in the borough that Andrew Rossendall's um, Romford constituency is in. Several food banks operate in, in Romford. Last week, uh, very close by, they opened up a baby bank there. That's to provide families living in poverty with clothes and toys. And Andrew Rossendall thinks that what is important to talk about is moving a statue of Ronald Reagan into Parliament Square. But that's not the end of it. He said all schools should fly the Union Jack outside their school and a different pupil every morning should be given the honour of raising the flag at the start of the school day. The Union flag should also be displayed permanently in school assembly halls. And I suggest that Andrew Rossendall um, goes up to Scotland and delivers Union flags to each school there and we'll see how he gets on. Now, alack, it is... um, it is time, uh, that special time every week, when we read Anne Widdicombe's column in the Daily Express and we marvel at its insanity. And this week, you know, she's in full, I remember it when it was all trees around here mode. She's writing that young people today don't know much about spelling and grammar. And she writes, as an erstwhile employer of young graduates, I had a whiteboard in my office on which every day I wrote a rule of grammar or of spelling e.g. principal and principal, principal L-E and principal A-L. Many were the oohs and ahs of surprise and enlightenment. Now, I think that if you worked with Anne Widdicombe and every day she came in and wrote on the whiteboard a new rule of spelling and grammar, and the young people in the office responded to it by going, ooh, and ah, I think it would show that while young people might struggle with spelling and grammar, they're still really, really good at sarcasm. Um, But finally, our final entrant in this week's Hall of Shame is Lawrence Fox. Uh, Mixed news for Lawrence Fox in polling for the London mayoral election. The good news is that he's polling ahead of 10 candidates. The bad news is that he's on 1%, and that's slightly behind Sadiq Khan, who's on 41%. It's also behind Sean Bailey for the Tories, Louise Porritt for the Lib Dems, Sean Berry for the Greens, Nico Omilana, the YouTube prankster, Farah London, uh, who's from a party called Bring London Back. I didn't know it had gone anywhere. He's behind breakdancing ex-drug addict Brian Rose. Uh, who's got some interesting views on COVID. He's behind UKIP's splendidly named Peter Gammons. He's also behind the independent Count Binface. And Count Binface has issued a manifesto, and these are some of Count Binface's pledges that are more popular than Lawrence Fox's pledges. They are that London should rejoin the EU, that the HS2 protest Uh, in London, the the protesters at Euston should be allowed to finish their tunnel at Euston, tunnel all the way to Birmingham and then follow it up with a second tunnel from Birmingham to Manchester. Camp Binface says that London Bridge should be renamed Phoebe Waller Bridge. 
he says that Piers, Morgan, uh, Piers Corbyn should be banished to the Phantom Zone, although other people would say Piers Morgan should join Piers Corbyn in the Phantom Zone. And finally, and most sensibly, he says that the hand dryer in the gents' toilets at the Crown and Treaty pub in Uxbridge should be more, moved into a more sensible position. But seriously... Don't waste your vote on joke candidates with stupid manifestos if you can vote in London. Don't vote for Lawrence Fox when you can go for a serious politician like Count Binface. So that was the New European Podcast with Steve Anglesey. My thanks go to Robin Vinter and to Oriel Miller. Please remember to rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice. Positive reviews really do mean a lot to us and to me as well. And thank you for, for all the kind reviews that we've received recently. You can subscribe to The New European at theneweuropean.co.uk slash save. For £10 a month, you get the printed and the e-editions every week. The first 200 to subscribe get a signed copy of the latest volume of Alistair Campbell's Excellent Diaries. We've got a few of those left, so... so please be quick. You can join our readers group on Facebook. You can follow at The New European on Twitter and you can follow me on Twitter at Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. And the only thing to say now is Alistair Campbell, please play your bagpipes. Here you go. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.